verses 10 through 21. Now, the, the topic that's occupying us here in the past few weeks, and as you look at the book of Romans, understand that chapters 9 through 11 takes up the issue of Israel specifically. Why isn't Israel uh, coming to salvation in Christ? They are God's chosen people. They, are, they were the elect. They were the beloved ones. They were the foreknown ones. Why is it that they are not coming to faith in their Messiah? That, that is not really a question we ask ourselves today too much. But 2,000 years ago, that was on the heart of, of many of the, fir uh, the first early Christians. How is it that Gentiles are coming in, pagans are coming in to the heritage of Israel, pagan worshipers of idols, the sexually immoral, how are they coming in to the heritage of Yahweh? And how is it that the people of Yahweh, his sons, who follow the law, are not coming to salvation in Christ. Why is that, and how, how is that? That is what occupies the Apostle Paul's mind in chapters 9 through 11. Now, why are they not coming to Christ? The answer that we've seen is faith. They do not have the faith. And if you go back before the law was given to Moses, it was Abraham who had faith. So to be a true child of Abraham, a son of Abraham, a son of uh, a child of Israel was to have the faith of Abraham, the faith of the father of Israel. So I want to start in the middle of a thought that we left off last week, starting in chapter 10, verse 10. Um, actually, I'll start in verse 9, and we'll read through to the end of the chapter into verse 21. And here is perhaps the most glorious promise in all of Scripture, or one that I've clung to very tightly in verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. But the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For the vo their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? 
First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. And with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. You ever heard of Martin Luther's 95 Theses? When he went to the door in Wittenberg and nailed his 95 Theses that really sparked the Reformation? I'm going to give you four theses today. I'm not going to rival Martin Luther's 95 Theses. I mean, I could do my, my 95 Theses version of this sermon. Do you want that? Should I do the, I'll do the four Theses sermon uh, version. I have four theses on evangelism. And studying this passage this week has very much convicted me. And it has very much convicted me about where our church is today and the steps that we need to take as a church. Um, it is good that we meet on Sundays and worship the Lord. It is good that we meet on Wednesdays and fellowship and study scripture. And it is very important that we study theology. And that's why I'm rolling out those theology courses in September, um, which is going to be deeper theology. That is very important. But, but we cannot, the Church of the Vine cannot neglect mission and evangelism. And up to this point, We've been preparing ourselves for that, but now is the time to now is the time to act in mission evangelism. And I'm not I'm not saying I'm not playing upon your heartstrings. Maybe you don't want to do this, but as a member of your church, of this church, um, we're, we're requiring you to come alongside us in evangelism. And and this is this is um, well, this is important. So before I preach a whole sermon, before I actually preach it. Let's, let's get to the four theses on evangelism. Um, in, chapter, in verse 10, look at verse 10. The first thesis, the first thesis of evangelism is that salvation, righteousness, is, accept, is uh, accessible to all who believe. It's accessible to all who believe. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 10, For with the heart one believes and is saved, and with the mouth one confesses, uh, is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So what does God not require men to do? Verses 6 through, 10, 6 through 8 answer that question. The Lord does not require you to go on a spiritual journey or some kind of pilgrimage where you're not quite sure where you're going or what the destination is. The Christian life, certainly it is a sojourning, but it is not a wandering. Verse 6, the righteousness based on faith does not say who will ascend into heaven 
and find a savior. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say who's going to descend into the depths of the earth and find a Messiah, a savior. Who's going to discover the truth? It does not say that to you. The righteousness based on faith does not send you on a journey, high and low. The righteousness based on faith is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it, Deuteronomy says. It does not send you on a journey. What does it do? It says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you use your heart to believe. That's the means of attaining righteousness. You don't need to find some kind of medium to attain righteousness. Christ is our mediator, and you reach out to him through belief in the heart, and you confess with your mouth. So everything that is required for salvation has been given to you, a savior and the ability to believe. That's the first thesis of salvation. Righteousness is a gift that you open with the, ha- with the empty hands of faith. All you need is nothing to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. All you need is unworthiness to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to receive him. To have no fear in life, no fear in death, to have life everlasting in a kingdom that is unfading, unperishable, kept in heaven for you, where every tear is wiped away, in the new heavens and new earth, you can reach out to that with your heart and with your mouth. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It is accessible to you, this salvation that Christ offers. So that's the first and obvious thesis that of evangelism, and that's why we're here today, because we have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We have believed with him, believed on him in our heart, and confessed him with our mouth. Amen? All right. The second thesis, then, is that salvation is available to all. So it's not only accessible to all who believe, but it is available to all without distinction. The Apostle Paul writes, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. So there is no distinction. Paul writes that to establish the universality of God's provision in Christ. Across ethnic lines, as I said, this was a shock. This was an absolute shock to the first century Jew. Um, do you remember that story about Cornelius? Me and Gary have been talking about Cornelius. But that story about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Peter has a vision of unclean animals being let down from heaven. And the Lord says to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And what does he say? Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And the Lord said to him, what I have called clean, don't call common. So I've made it clean. And Paul's trying to fi- or Peter's trying to figure out what in the world is the Lord saying to me. 
And as he's pondering these things, he hears a knock at the door, and there are people sent from a man, Cornelius, who also, also had a vision of the Lord. And Peter went to his house and preached the gospel to Cornelius. And Peter says, now I know that the Lord gives mercy and, and forgiveness to all without distinction. And Cornelius and his family, Gentiles and Greeks, non-Jews, pagans according to Jews, to Israel, received the Holy Spirit just like the Jews did. And then Peter takes this to the council in Jerusalem. And after they said, so you went to unclean Gentiles and ate with them? And Peter recounts the vision from the Lord, recounts that they had received the Holy Spirit just as the Jews did in Acts 2. And they concluded, so then, to the Gentiles has been granted forgiveness unto life. This was the shock. And this is why this is such a hammer in the first century. To all without distinction. And you see this throughout the Bible in many places. I want to turn your attention to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is teaching this very truth about no distinction between Jew and Greek. In verse 11, Ephesians 2 verse 11, he says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, you were separated from the Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he may create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to those who were far off and those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Amen? Amen. So, salvation is given to all without distinction, and it is accessible to all. And this doesn't mean just Jew and Greek. This means to anyone without distinction, meaning you have to have no background information to come to the Lord, no previous record of good works, yeah, there is a there's a little clip by Alistair Begg going around right now. Um, the internet and it is it is so good. Um, so I want to. He talks about the thief on the cross. What what did the thief on the cross have to give to the Lord? What the thief on the cross was a lying, cheating, thieving dying, shabby, self person up on the cross. 
nothing to offer the Lord. He has a record of unrighteousness, foolish, debauchery, and hatred of the Lord by his works. And he's in heaven. He's in paradise the day he dies. Is he not? And imagine what the angels might have been saying. What would, the, what would the angel have been saying? What are you doing here? They might have said. What, 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 what qualifies you to be here? Do you understand the doctrine of justification by faith? Do you understand, do you understand the Trinity, the hypostatic union? Do you, do you know the redemptive historical scheme that runs from Adam to Christ? Do you understand anything? Have you done anything worthy of the kingdom? And after a slew of no's to all the angels' questions, the thief on the cross may have pointed to Jesus and said, he said I could come. And that's why I'm here, because when I asked him to remember me, he said, you will be with me in paradise today. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. No previous record of righteousness, no previous record of knowledge. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. I encourage you to look up that click by Alistair Begg. Um, and he is a, he's a good preacher worth listening to as well. Um, anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So it is available. Salvation is available to all. Now, we, we know this, right? Salvation is accessible and it's available to all. Now, I want to tell you something you might not know. Verse 13, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Has anyone ever had a Jehovah's Witness knock at their door? And the one and the sharpest difference between us and Jehovah's Witness that I can point out is that Jesus is not Lord for them. Now in verse 13, here's the promise. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a quote. If you look in your Bibles, if you have a reference Bible, you can check up the reference, and that's a quote from Joel, the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verse 32. Joel 2, verse 32. And literally read, that passage says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls in the name of Yahweh, the Lord, will be saved. So anyone who calls in the name of the Lord refers to Yahweh. In the Hebrew, Lord, whenever you see capital letters in your Bible in the Old Testament for Lord, it means that it's translating the word Yahweh to Lord. Now, Joel 32 promises that it shall come to pass in the latter days that everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. That's the promise in verse 13, right? We see that. Now, who in this passage in Romans should people confess with their mouth that Jesus is? In verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised from the dead, you will be saved. So do you see what the Apostle Paul has done here? The Apostle Paul 
has taken a passage that says if you confess with your mouth, uh, all everyone who confesses, who calls in the name of Yahweh will be saved, and he applies that to Christ, showing that Christ participates in the divine identity from the very beginning of the church. In other words, Jesus is God. He is part of the Trinity. So this is not some made-up doctrine by the early church or by patristic fathers. You see things like this throughout Scripture where Old Testament authors are taking texts referring to Yahweh and applying them to Christ. Now, there is, this, there is a distinction between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. However, you can't separate them. And that's why, that's why I say Jesus participates in the divine identity. He is part of what it means to be God. And that is, that is amazing for a first century Jew as well. So it's not just a man came and did a bunch, a bunch of nice things and died, and then Jesus and then the Father said, well, that's good, I'll make him Messiah. It's that he is God, a very God, come down and died for us. Amen. Um, so that's a passage, by the way, that you, you should bring up to a Jehovah's Witness. And, um, not to slam them in their slam it in their face, but to show them, to minister to them, because after all, verse nine says, "If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved." All right, that's the second thesis. So salvation is accessible to all; it's available to all without distinction, no previous knowledge, no previous record of good works. The third. The third thesis is that evangelism is necessary and God-ordained. It is the necessary and God-ordained means of bringing people to salvation. Look with me in verses 14 and 15. Now, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. So here's a little, this is a chain of evangelism. The chain is, the the precondition for calling on the name of the Lord is what? Believing that he is the one to call on. And a precondition for believing that he is the one to call on, is hearing about it. You have to hear about it in order to believe and thus call on the name of the Lord. Third, in order for someone to hear, it must be preached. In order to hear the gospel, you need to preach the gospel. Fourth, in order for someone to preach, people must go. They must be sent to people who have not heard. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is water in here, by the way, okay? So I don't want any... No rumors, yeah. All right. 
So this is the go part of evangelism, right, of the Great Commission. God has chosen to offer his salvation in his wisdom through the mouth of heralds. And I, I have made a great emphasis and a needed emphasis on the second half of the Great Commission. So the second half of the Great Commission, it's Jesus says, go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that, that part is what church is really about. All right? So it's teaching them to observe all I have commanded. But, but I do not want to de-emphasize that first little word, go. Go and make disciples. So, if someone is going to be saved, they need to call on the name of the Lord, which means they need to believe him, which means that they need to hear about him, which means someone needs to preach to them, which means those who know the Lord must go. All right? Now, the problem is Israel, at this point, um, has not believed. And in verse 16, he's saying, this is like the situation in Isaiah's day. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Nevertheless, even though there are disbelievers, faith comes from hearing, and hearing involves the word of Christ. That's how you're saved. So here's the point at which Israel is failing or has failed at this point, is the hearing point. They've heard in a way that they've not really heard. Kind of like Jesus said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Now, why has Israel then not believed? This is the, first, the, the fourth thesis, my last thesis of evangelism, is that there are going to be some people who just flatly dis, disregard and reject the gospel. So why has Israel not believed? In verse uh, 18, is it because they have not heard the message? Not at all. Verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. What Paul has done is he's taken the, the words of Psalm 19, which is the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork, and he has applied it to the mission of the early church, which is this point, is perhaps 30 years down the road. And he's saying the it's not as if what Jesus has done has been hidden a corner. And it's not as if the gospel has been isolated to Jerusalem, to a few Jews. No, it's been spread out. So they've heard. So Paul is applying the language of creation, telling the story of God and the glory of God to the work of missions. And he's saying, they've had a chance to respond. They've heard. They've heard the message. Well, is it that they don't understand the message, though? So they've heard the message, but perhaps they don't understand the message, Paul. And Paul says in verse 19, but I ask, did Israel not understand? That's not why they're not coming. Skip down to verse 21. Here's why. Here is why they're rejecting the gospel. Here's why they haven't come to faith in Christ. But of Israel, 
The Lord says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So Paul has disavowed Israel, the unbelieving Jew, of innocence here. Both Jews have both understood and heard the message, and they have at this point deliberately rejected it. And there is a wanton disregard for the cross of Christ, for his resurrection, for the Son of God, and they are holding Christ up to contempt. They are sitting in God's lap while slapping him in the face by rejecting his Son. And those who hear the gospel today do the same. They, are, they have rejected the good news of salvation. Amen? Now, I say that in the strongest terms possible because Christians, like us, can embrace one of two verses in this passage. And I've seen Christians embrace one at the expense of the other many times. Some Christians can embrace verse 21 very strongly and say, listen, that's why people in America aren't coming to faith, because they're disobedient and contrary. They're pagans, hard-hearted, and they deserve to die. And we will applaud them as they go into hell. Now, there is truth to that, and I do not want to pull that punch. There is great truth to that. But is that the heart of God for the lost? I don't think so. I do not think that's the heart of God for the lost. It is the heart of God for the lost is verse 21. It's all day long I stretch out my hands. That is the heart of God. All day long, the Lord stretches out his hands. Yes, they are a disobedient and contrary people, but the offer remains while it is still called today for those people. And while they stay, while they are alive and breathing, they have a chance to respond to the good news of Jesus. Now, second, in Peter, why has the Lord not come back yet? Peter tells us, The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, but is patient, not willing that any should perish. So it's the patience of the Lord that is the reason for the delay of the return of Christ. Stretching out his hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long, the Lord stretches out his hands. Now, look in verse 9, at the beginning of chapter 9, rather. The Apostle Paul has the heart of Christ in this matter. Yes, they are a disobedient and contrary people. Yes, some will reject the gospel. But Paul, Paul has a, is a unique individual. And you could almost see him saying with some anxiety in verse 14, And how will they call on him? in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And now how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
People must be sent, the Apostle Paul is saying. And he's saying this with urgency. He's on edge. You know, they said of Leonard Ravenhill that Leonard Ravenhill would preach, he would preach with passion and he would preach with fire. (laughs) There's an inside joke there. But he would preach with fire and he would call men to repentance. And and he would have a burden for the lost in the pulpit. Now, sometimes preachers can do that, and then they can get down and go to lunch, and they'd be crying in the pulpit, and then they can go to the lunch and, you know, continue on with their day, but not with Ravenhill, it's said of him, that he was on edge. I heard um, Michael Brown, who knew Ravenhill, say it wasn't like that with him. When he would get down, he would be the same man at the dinner table and at home that he was in the pulpit. And he would come out of his study crying and saying, people don't know the Lord. This breaks the heart of Christ. That's not human. Let me tell you right now, that's not human to have that kind of passion for the Lord. I'll tell you what else is not human. Chapter 9 verses 1 through 3, is not human. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brother's my kinsmen, according to the flesh. That's not human. People don't have hearts like that, naturally. When I heard Paul Washer give the shocking youth message, and after, cry in his prayer because he wanted the youth to be saved, I said, that's not human. That's not... That's not normal. People don't act like that. People don't act like Paul. People don't naturally act like Leonard Ravenhill. So what is that? That is the heart of Christ in them. That's what that is. That's the heart of Christ in these people. And you see the heart of Christ in Christ himself when he laments for Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I would gather you as a mother gathers her chicks. And you see the heart of Christ as he hangs up on a cross and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What makes men run into the jungle and preach the gospel to people who never heard and die of diseases? What makes men go to these dangerous places? What makes women and widows go out and spend their golden years in the Middle East preaching the gospel? What is it? What do they have? They have the heart of Christ. That's what they have. It's not because something in them 
but it's because Christ lives in them. It's no longer they who live, but Christ who lives in them. That's what that is. It is it is the soul of God, or the life of God in the soul of man. That's what that is. The heart, the very heart of Christ given and implanted in those peculiar individuals. Do you not want that? Now, I'm not telling you, I'm not playing upon your emotions and say, we really need to want to evangelize. That's not what I'm doing. I'm saying, I know we don't want to evangelize as much as we should. I know. I know that I do not have the heart of Christ as I should. So, do we, like Paul, believe that Christ is necessary? Necessary to know God and have life? Ask yourself that. Now, if the answer is, I don't really know, be honest with yourself. Then, pray for faith, come and talk to me. Read the word, read good books about, uh, about people who had a burden for the Lord. But, Jesus did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And Paul is saying, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Peter did preach that there is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. The gospel is about the exclusivity of Christ for eternal life. Now, if we believe that, we need to bring ourselves to that belief, our bodies and our mouths and our hearts to to that belief. Now, I want us to evangelize. Now, when when I talk about evangelism, I want you to think talking about Jesus to people. All right? You talk about Jesus to people. That's evangelism. And so often we run to the cross, and we need to go to the cross, but I want to give you three ways to talk to people about Christ unto salvation. Number one, by the way, the three ways are based on who Christ is. He is the revealer of God, he's the reconciler of God to man, and he is the ruler, he is Lord. So think revealer, reconciler, ruler. That's what Christ is. So, one question to ask people, do you think that God has revealed himself? That's a great way, great way to start an evangelistic conversation or something of that sort. Do you think God has made himself known? How can we know God? Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other name. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Jesus said that he was the only way to the Father. And he did rise from the dead. So it might be wise to listen to him. So he is the revealer. And run to the resurrection, because that is the evidence that he is the revealer. Of this he has given us assurance by raising him from the dead. He is also the reconciler. So if somebody 
has felt the weight of their sin. It's have you repented? It's not, don't be too squishy about this, all right? Don't be too soft in evangelism. It's not that, yes, it's about receiving Jesus, but I think the time has come for a, a hard, clear word to people. It's have you repented and believed and received him as your Lord and Savior. It's repent and believe. So turn from your sin and turn to Christ as your only hope. And then have you been baptized? So don't let them get away. Yeah, I believe. I believe that. Yeah, I, you know, I'm good with that. Je- Jesus died on the cross. And I believe it. Well, even demons believe that. Right. Have you been baptized in front of people, in front of a church as a confession, a profession of that belief? Do, do, how does your life now look different now that you've received Christ? Don't, you don't have to persuade in evangelism all the time. Sometimes we go into a persuasive mode. Just be, be a declarer. He is the revealer from God, and he has given evidence by raising him from the dead. You can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, but you need to repent and believe in him. And that true belief is demonstrated by following Christ. And that gives me to the ruler section, because many people, many people think they think Jesus is the, is the way to God. They think they've been reconciled to God, but they live like the devil. And Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the works that I do? And that is one for people in the pews today. Because it's not, it's not baptism that saves you. It's not saying a prayer that, says you, that saves you. It is believing. And if you believe that the rock is solid and it's good to build your home on, you will build your life on it. And if you believe that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe that all authority has been given to him, You're going to listen to him. So the ruler section would be for people who have not come under the authority of Christ. Come under his authority. Belief. Demons have belief. But they have not made him their Lord. So... Um, I need a passer-outer. Got Gary, you want to come pass out? So, what I'm doing today is I'm challenging us as a church. All right, I've got two different types. I've got a black one, what is the gospel, and who is Jesus, or red one. Um, so, one of each? Yeah, one, just... I don't know. We'll, we'll put the rest of the back, Gary, okay? Yep. So what we're going to do is Gary is passing out tracks. One is what is the gospel. The other is who is Jesus. Here is your assignment. All right? Here's the assignment. Get rid of this track by next Sunday. Do not have this track in your hand or in your house next Sunday. All right? And then I want to hear about it next Sunday. Get rid of this tract. Now, don't throw it in the garbage. (laughs) 
get rid of it by giving it to a human being. All right? That's my challenge to you. If, if you've, I, I, I almost, I almost um, don't want to give you this out, but if you feel the weight and you just can't bring yourself to it, well, know that's the weight of the Holy Spirit convicting you, but also, too, if you're at dinner or something, leave a tract on the table so that they'll definitely see it. But the real assignment is to have a conversation with somebody and break through the veil of awkwardness that you might feel. Push through that and say, I, you can blame it on me. Say, my pastor gave us a track and I, I'm given this tract. And then think revealer, reconciler, ruler. Those are the three ways to have this conversation with people. Um, you can say, hey, the Lord told me to tell you that Jesus is Lord. Because he has. He has told you to tell him that everyone that. So that's not a lie. So it's not a lie if you say, hey, the Lord told me to talk to you about the gospel. That's, that's true. And then what I would like you to do, there's a little section on the back of these tracts. Don't just give it to them. Tell them where we meet as a church because this is not a Billy Graham crusade that I'm sending you on that just tell the gospel. And I know Billy Graham didn't do just do that. But my point is, once they, once they come to be introduced to Christ, they need to have a place where they come and are discipled. They're introduced to Christians. They're taught the word. And they are brought up in the holy faith, right? So, the tract, revealer, reconciler, ruler, invite them to this church. Or, if they live far away, tell them to go to another church that you know of. But you just so happen to be a part of this church, and we preach the gospel, and we're discipling people. So, I think, you, I think we would do well if we had people here who were very immature in the faith. I think we would do well. And I think those of us who have been walked with Christ a long time could take them by the arms and build them up and make sturdy disciples out of them. Now, last thing. Why, why are our hearts not breaking for the lost? Why, why are we not hungry to get out there? It's because we don't have enough of the heart of Christ. That's what it is. And how do we get that? You get it by doing. There, there, is, a, there is an interplay between doing and, um, I don't want to say, ex yeah, experiencing. But most importantly, for our purposes, is prayer. And to this point in our church, we have been somewhat prayerless. So what I'm going to do is, and I don't have a date for you, but we're going to start a Bible study. Or, or we have a Bible study. We're going to start a prayer meeting in our church. And we are going to pray. We are going to pray for the heart of Christ to be implanted in us. And we are going to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit 
in our lives and in this church. And we are going to pray for revival that we cannot drum up ourselves, but can only come from the Lord. And we are going to pray that this church be used by the Lord. So, yes, yes, it, we'd like to have a building. Yes, we would, you know, all these, these, those things are important. But we want now to be useful to the Lord at Church of the Vine. All right? So part of that is going to be mission. Missions, we're going to have prayer meetings. I'm challenging with the tract. We're going to do a gospel walk coming up. We'll get that date solidified. And we're going to start slowly but surely doing the work of the Lord for the lost. All right? Okay. The, 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 the reason Jesus hasn't come back is because the world is not evangelized yet. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I love that. And then the end will come. So here's what I know. I don't know what all nations means, but I know the testimony hasn't gone out to all nations because the end has not come yet, right? So probably people groups, but the end has not come. Now, I'm not saying go out and, and move tomorrow to the Middle East, but I am saying we need, let's get started in the work. Let's get started in prayer. And let the Apostle Paul's burden for the lost be a good model for you. Let Christ lamenting over Jerusalem be a model for you. Let the heart of God, let God's outstretched arm to the disobedient and contrary people be a model for you. All right, I have said enough. Let's close in a word of prayer. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only wise God, be glory and majesty and power and dominion and authority now before all time and forevermore. Amen? Amen. If anyone would like special prayer, I would love to pray with you. God bless you.